Father, I'm completely confident that you have determined the lives of every person in this room, everyone watching online, whenever they might be watching or listening. God, you know our hearts, you know our lives. You look down from heaven on the ones that you have fashioned, every single heart. So Lord, I know that your goodness is chasing after each of us. And I ask, Father, that you would slow us down to let you catch up. You would just help us to let our hearts be settled in your presence, to receive the words that you want to speak to us today, to do the work that you want to do in us, to release the hope that you want to release this morning, to free us from those things you want to set us free from, to embrace us like we've never been embraced before. So God, here we are, the people you have made, loved, redeemed, cared for. We want to hear your words. In Jesus' name, amen. I know not everyone's an introvert out there, but sometimes isn't silence just awesome? Sometimes? How much silence do you get in a day? Don't answer that. All right. I want to make uh, just one note. I want to thank Eric, however he says thank you to me, uh, for uh, interpreting for us this morning. Terry is uh, on her way out to Florida. We're sorry to see Terry and Ron leave, but thanks to Terry, who has served so well. Yes. <laughs> In our ASL um, ministry. And Eric is, uh, is stepping up, and we really appreciate Eric's help, at least for these next couple of weeks. So. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we're in a series on relationships. We're calling the series Love and Honor. And what we're doing is we're looking at some of the primary relationships that God gives us in the world. And we're looking at those relations, relationships through a biblical lens. A biblical lens. <laughs> a biblical lens so that we can see these relationships put through the, the die cast of Scripture. What would they look like if they came out the other end? What would God-honoring, kingdom-filled relationships look like in the world? We're looking at the primary way that love and honor fit into those relationships because those types of relationships in the kingdom that are um, manifesting the love and the honor that God gives us, those carry the kingdom message of good news into the world. And then the world sees those relationships, and believe it or not, they wonder. They wonder, what the heck is going on with those people? How do they do that? What's different? And they want to know the one that has made us different and done the transformation. So uh, foundational text I introduced a couple of weeks ago, Romans 12.10, just simply says this, be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in love. That's agape love. We'll talk about in a minute. And, um, and honor one another above yourselves. Real simple definition of love from the primary Greek word that's used for God's love that's manifested to us and through us to other people. Agape just means this. I mean, real simply, to will the ultimate good of another to the, to the, uh, to the degree that we're able to do that. To will the ultimate good of another. 
obviously you've got to know an ultimate good and the ultimate good God to be able to truly love like that. But those, that's what God's called us to do in the kingdom, to love like that, to will the ultimate good of another. Simple uh, definition for honor, to assign high value to or to defer to, to esteem another because of what they've done or because of who they are. And I love the way John Piper says it. He says, to treat others with our words and actions as if they're worthy of our service. It doesn't mean that we feel like they're worthy of our service, but to honor someone is to treat someone, to, to defer to them, to respect them, as if the truth is, and we know it, they're worthy of our service. Man, how would the world be changed if every believer in this world learned how to truly love and honor others in relationship? I think it is what transforms the world. It's the practical outworking of an intimate relationship with Jesus who loves and honors us. Sort of that power forced into the world to bring change wherever we go. So we have this command to love, to will the good of another, and this command to honor, to assign a high value to someone, to esteem them or um, defer to them with our words and with our actions. We began the first week of the series, I talked about what it looks like to love and honor ourselves as God's creation in a balanced way, not in a self-idolizing way, but in a kingdom way. Ian did an awesome job last week talking about singleness. Um, I wasn't here, but I listened to the message, and I tell you, I heard more about that message in this last week than I've heard about a lot of messages, so I'm a little intimidated, (laughs) mainly because after 35 years of marriage, I'm speaking today on dating. <laughs> Full disclosure, the uh, last time I dated a person other than my wife was 1986. And the two years prior to that, the person I dated is my wife. So I don't have an incredible amount of experience in the dating world in this last you know, four decades or so. I um, actually moved from my fraternity house in college into our first apartment as a married couple. So I'm just, this is weird, but are you ready for this? I've never lived alone. I've never lived alone. From that place, which makes me uniquely qualified to talk about dating, (laughs) I want to say this. Here's what I get to give you this morning. I get to give you a pastoral loving heart. That's what I get to give. Not all the how-tos and whys and whatnots, but a pastoral loving heart. Because the, the reality is, I feel more compassion for the singles in our church and those dating than any other group of people in our church. Because honestly, I can't imagine how difficult it is. I can't imagine how hard it is. I know what it was like in 1984. I can't imagine, I can't imagine the challenge of singleness, dating, engagement, and all that in 2021. So what I'm going to give you this morning is my heart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from the best book on dating available. It's the Bible. I will also recommend another book called Not Yet Married, The Pursuit of Joy in Singleness and Dating by Marshall Siegel. And that will be in my notes on the web if you want to get that. Um, I won't agree with everything he says, but I think it's an awesome book this uh, sort of uh, God-honoring view of singleness and dating. Let's, um, 
Let's just take a minute and pray. What, what I want you to do, um, no matter what uh, relational state you're in, single, dating, engaged, married, divorced, widowed, whatever that may be, I want you to just take a moment and recognize that the creator of the universe wants a deep, lasting relationship with you. And he wants each of us to have deep and lasting relationships with one another. So 95% of what I say this morning will relate to every human relationship we have. So God, we ask that you would let us hear your words this morning. And I pray for grace to give them with grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's just start with some of the basic questions, the who question. Who can I date? Who should I date as a single person? Two words I'll give you. You can write them down if you want. You might not like it. Don't settle. Put an exclamation point. Ready? Don't settle. <clears throat> Do not forsake. Some laughing is happening. I hope it's good. Okay. Do not forsake the goodness of God if you're a single or a dating person right now, do not forsake it. Do not let it go thinking that you know another good better than God's good. Do not settle. Uh, read the scripture, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 16. Some of these scriptures will be up and some won't. They'll all be in my notes on the web. 2 Corinthians 6, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Paul goes right to it. He doesn't mess around. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Or what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? In other words, the devil. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Right down to the bottom of this, Paul is simply saying, um, in the same way that two oxen, you know, um, bound together by a yoke that are different sizes or different strengths will never be able to create a straight row. Two people, one who belongs to Jesus and loves him and follows him and one who does not, can never walk a straight path in a dating or a married relationship. It, it just doesn't work that way. My promise to you, I hate to say it that way, but my promise to you is that if you pursue a relationship with an unbeliever as a dating or a single or dating person, that you are planning for frustration. You're planning for it. I'm not saying it's beyond redemption. I'm just saying you are planning for frustration. And um, I say that because it's what the Bible says. And I've watched it as a pastor for 30 years. I've watched people and... I have compassion, but I've watched people settle. Say, yeah, but, yeah, but this person really, yeah, but I think they might, I mean, just go down all the lines, yeah. Yeah, but God said, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Light and darkness don't mix, and don't fall to the temptation that your, lightness, your, <laughs> your light will somehow expel the darkness. The light of only one person expels darkness, the light of Jesus. 
Don't do it. Don't fall for it. Don't settle. It's like a guardrail that God's given us as believers, like a guardrail in our lives to keep us from frustration and failure and other terrible things. You can either um, obey that guardrail in life or you can smash up against it and go through life a little dented. Again, I'm not saying there's no redemption, but I'm speaking to the ones before right now and saying, listen, this is a good word from God. Heed it. God's goodness is there for you. Second question, the how far question. It's been a long time since I've talked publicly about how far can you go in dating. I mean, this is a long time ago for me. But I've got three words. Don't be deceived. Technically, it's four with a you know, contraction there. But <laughs> Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8. Just let the word of God do its work in you. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. The word means holy or set apart or different. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. The Greek word there, porneia. That's the word. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. Do you know I really wanted to put a little ellipsis and take that part out when I read the Bible? And then I thought, why do you want to take the Bible out of the Bible? I don't know what it means. I just know the Bible says the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. When we give ourselves to sexual immorality, we are uh, literally working against ourselves and God for the good of the kingdom, for the for the 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 lack of the kingdom. We're working against God when we do it. So the word sexual immorality, to flee from, the, the Greek word is porneia. Gets what word we get from that. It just simply means anything related to sexual intimacy outside the context of marriage between a man and a woman. That's porneia. You may think today of porneia as just something that somebody watches or some temptation or some thought, but no, it's anything related to sexual intimacy outside of the bounds of, of God-given marriage between a man and a woman. And what Paul says is, flee from it. Flee, flee from it. Flee from it. It will draw you in. It will draw you in. But flee from it. The reason for this, you ready? I don't know. Sex is a powerful gift given by God. It is a powerful gift, and to use that gift outside of the context of marriage, the safe place in which to do it, will, you know, it's not a happy emotional damage to the people involved in it. You know, it's not a happy message to give today, but it's a truthful message. It's a loving message. It's an encouraging message message to give. It causes damage 
to the person and people involved in it. Because Holy Spirit to dwell. We're chosen for those who are in Christ to allow his Holy Spirit to dwell. So when we use our bodies in any warrior design for sex and relationship and saying no by certain trouble, your design of God, I will take short-term pleasure followed by certain trouble. For love and honor, as we say no, we're building muscles for love and honor in a marriage when God gives that and if God gives that to us. It's, it's the primary reason, personally, real practically, when Jane and I do premarital counseling, the primary reason we talk to them about a purity covenant. I mean, we don't want them to sin against God. We don't want them to, to fall to temptation. We don't want them to dishonor their bodies or anything. Real practically, what I tell them is, if you can say no to the one that you love now outside of marriage, this one that God will eventually call you to, you are building muscles of faithfulness in that marriage. You know, when I was married at the age of like 21 and four seconds, I just assumed that, you know, this whole sex thing was, well, there's no big deal. Like, you know, as soon as, as, soon as you get married, you can have sex anytime you want, right? You should be laughing. It takes two people, it turns out. One of them is a woman. And it's, it's ignorance. So, so what, I, what we tell couples is build those muscles now for saying no to the flesh when, when you love one another, when you know you're going to be called together. Because then <clears throat> three months, one year, three years, five years, 35 years, 55 years down the road, when for some reason or another, sexual intimacy, you'll be faithful now that we're with each other. You are building spiritual muscles of faithfulness. Do you know what that does to a marriage relationship? That type of muscle helps you withstand all sorts of force against you. And, and the church is being decimated by sexual immorality right now. Decimated. The, the people sitting there, the people standing here, the people out there, I mean, it's, it is not good. And you, if you're in a dating relationship right now, get to exercise that spiritual muscle. That means you get to walk through pain for eventual God-honoring pleasure and strength. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it's a, uh, one of the first scriptures I uh, memorized as a college student. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. It was New American Standard back then. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of dating that you may be able to endure it. I promise to you, couples, dating, seeing each other, whatever it is, outside of marriage, there is a way of escape for any, t any time and way that you are tempted. Someone in the, in the relationship has to have the boldness to say, we're in trouble here, <laughs> warning danger. What's the way of escape? Obviously, the number one way is don't walk down the trail that leads to temptation. And you want to know more about that? Talk to Ian. <laughs> he's not here, so I can say that. Plus, he's engaged, and Jane and I are doing his premarital, and it'll be good for him. <laughs> Text him a lot. Ask him really hard questions. 
Now, understand this about, about sex before marriage and in the dating relationship. Please, please hear me. I, I'm not a complete prude. I'm a little prudy, but I'm not a complete prude, okay? If a couple comes to us and we ask the question about, are you tempted in your physical relationship? If they say no, I know one of two things is happening. They are lying or they're not called to one another. When I, when I was in college, I remember I, I was pursuing a relationship with a woman who was not Jane. I was actually not attracted to this woman physically, but I thought to myself, I'm not going to fall for this, you know, you should be attracted to the... It's not all about looks, you know? So I had this relationship for a while with this woman that I wasn't attracted to in any way. And the, the Christian guy who was discipling me looked at me when I told him how holy I was, and he said, that's stupid. Because you know what I was saying? Somehow sex doesn't matter. He's saying, brother, you have no idea. So I'm, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be struggle. There should be struggle. But it is a struggle that can be, with God's help and the, and the community of people around you, can be uh, mastered, can be won, and it's worth it. I promise that it's worth it. Our question, let's, let's jump into love. What does love look like in a dating relationship? Remember, we're not just talking about dating. Every scripture I read is, is, is written by the Apostle Paul who wasn't married. He didn't date as far as we know. These are relational principles and guidelines. We're talking about them in the context of dating. What does love look like? What is love? To will the ultimate good of the other as far as it is in my control. So close your eyes. And listen to the description of love once again from the scripture. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I remember the, the night... 36 or so years ago, Jane and I were sitting on the campus of Miami University. We were right in the process of falling in love, me a little quicker than her, I might add. She caught up. And um, I remember, I don't know who said it first, not the I love you part, but what I'm about to say. I don't know who said it first. I'd like to think it was me. It's probably her. But I remember we came to this point in our relationship dating, and we were able to look at each other and say, all I want to be is someone who draws you closer to Jesus. Now, I didn't read that in a book, and nobody taught me that. I think the Holy Spirit just loved us so much and probably saw what was happening and thought, these two are in trouble, and just downloaded the truth. It, it is the primary goal in any relationship, but certainly a dating relationship, that we would be for that other person, the person, a person, who just draws them closer to Jesus. If that means closer to Jesus in a marriage relationship, praise God. 
if that means closer to Jesus as we depart from being together as a couple, I just remember thinking, you know, it, it's, it doesn't sound logical. It does now, but it did at the time. I just remember thinking, I'm sure from the Holy Spirit, you know, if God has someone better for me than her, <laughs> that's what I want. If it's her, I hope. I'm good with that. But if there's something better, why would I want to, you know, be in her way of someone better than me or settle? God is bigger than all of that. Galatians 4.19, in terms of dating and relationship, but Galatians 4.19, Paul is speaking to the, the church in Galatia, and he's saying, this is how passionate I am about your holiness and the, your loving and honoring relationships. And this is the phrase, he says, until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. Paul's desire in every relationship, so certainly in a dating relationship, to will the ultimate good of another that they would begin to look like and love like Jesus. And I'll tell you, if the goal of every relationship in our kingdom uh, relationships here would be until Christ is formed in you, until Christ is formed in you, more than getting my own way, more than remembering what you did so I can slam you, more than making myself feel better, more than getting my own pleasure for a moment. No, until Christ is formed in you, until you look like the one I love and loves me, I won't stop. That's what love looks like in a dating relationship, until Christ is formed in you. And so, I speak to those in dating relationships, but to everyone, pursue your relationship with Jesus. Pursue your relationship with Jesus. The closer you get to God, the more you have to give in a healthy dating relationship. The closer you get to God, the more you have to give in any healthy relationship. The more we become like him, the more we can love like him. It's just how it works in the world. God draws us together, and if there's a, he draws us to himself, and if he's drawing us together, the closer we get to him, the closer we get together. If he's not, the closer we get to him, the closer we get to him. So we can see where he's looking for us, and hear his heart for us, and know his love for us. If you let God go in your relationship of pursuit and dating, you'll let your friends go in that relationship. If you let God go and you let your friends go, all of a sudden the relationship you're going after becomes God equals idolatry. And honestly, I mean, I, yes, it's been a long time, but I remember the feeling. Even in our marriage, I know the, the, the temptation I have to put Jane on a pedestal, to, 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 to seek her rather than God at times. I know what that feels like. I can see her. Isn't it hard to pursue one that you can't see? I know what it feels like. But I'll tell you, if we, if we forsake God and we forsake our friends when we're pursuing a dating relationship, we will lose in some ways both of them. And in the long run, we'll lose. Don't lose your friends in your dating friendship. Because once you're married, you're going to need those relationships. I'm laughing. I promise once you're married, you will need those, more, those relationships more than you can imagine. Jane and I often will ask other couples, 
whether they're dating, you know, thinking about dating, engaged or married or married for centuries. We know some really old people. Is there another couple in your life that you can go to with anything that's happening in your, in your marriage relationship? The vast majority of people say no, and I'm sad. If you don't have another couple in your life that you can go to, and I mean couple, I mean they're married to each other, you're married to each other, you can go to them and say, hey, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at two people right here who have been those people for us time to time where we just had to go and say, something ugly's happening. I want you to say it's her fault, <laughs> but I trust you enough to actually tell me the truth. And we've been that for others also. We desperately need those relationships in the kingdom. And you know how those relationships start? When you're just honest. When you're just honest about where you're lacking and where you're struggling. Maybe the most important resource in a dating relationship, other than your relationship with Jesus, is a group of friends that know you, that love you, and that will tell you the truth. We need those people. We need those people. We need to be those people. We need to form that type of community and relationship. And there's no magical way. It's not a program of the church that's going to make that happen. It's going to be hearts opening up to one another saying, you know what, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm struggling. I'm confused. Or it may be someone looking at a relationship where they're invited in. Do you hear me? Where they're invited in and saying, you know what, I see something that troubles me. I, I, I see a problem coming in your relationship. I see something that, you know what, this is going to create much more pain in your future. Could we talk about that? Th those are kingdom conversations. You need people in your life that will speak the truth to you in love. You need truth tellers. A lot of couples in a dating relationship need someone to be able to ask them the hard question, are you just in love with the idea of being in love? It's called infatuation. Or is, is, is God in the midst of this? Th those are hard questions to ask and to answer and honestly to, to discern. I mean, when emotions and hormones and stuff get involved, like, don't you get all whacked? You get all whacked. And so we need people who are unwhacked to be able to look into our lives and say, here's what's true. Here's what I see. Here's how I can help and to be willing to walk with us. Then you can do the same in your dating and engaged relationship, and you can do it for other people. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every response the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Love in a dating relationship looks like hearing and speaking the truth. What does honor look like? Remember the definition of honor, to assign a high value to, to respect with our words and our actions, which means in any relationship, first and foremost, honoring God. Mark 12. Somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Honoring God in your relationship, sets the tone for every other part of your relationship. My, uh, our youngest son, Johnny, 
um, who's married now. They live in Nashville. We were visiting them last week. They, they had a bizarre dating relationship. They met as freshmen in college, different colleges, two hours away from each other. And I think it was love at first sight for both of them. Um, they were... <laughs> I shouldn't say this out loud, so I guess I will. Um, <laughs> the rest of us, we used to just call them the puppies. <laughs> Because when they were together, they're just like little puppies, you know? They're like, just look at them. They're all ooey and gooey. Anyway, <clears throat> for the first year of their relationship, the Lord spoke to them. I don't know how you hear this. The Lord spoke to them. God said, I don't want you to date until the beginning of the year. It was nine months. So they're in this relationship. They're, they're falling in love real quickly. And God said, don't formally date until January the 1st. So God bless them, they did it. Now, many people were wrangled into strange public situations so that they could be together, but not alone, all right? There were some bizarre events, I would say. But they were very faithful to not date, to not be um, exclusive in that relationship. So until January the 1st, so here's the funny thing. It just so happened that that December the 31st, my son, our son Benja and his wife Tori were getting married. And Johnny and Annie were both at the wedding. So remember, God says you can't date until January 1st. It's December 31st, all right? The wedding happens. Everybody's dancing. It's now midnight, all right? It's now midnight. And, you know, we're, everyone's dancing. There's party hats, et cetera, et cetera. You know, five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Year. And Johnny turns to his soon, he didn't realize three years later to be wife, turns to see what? My father kissing Annie. So because they stayed committed to this relationship, the first gooder to, to kiss Annie was not Johnny, it was my dad. <laughs> and Johnny's a little ticked off still to this day. <laughs> it was an innocent kiss on the cheek. I witnessed it, all right? Here's my point. The way that God honored their God-honoring of their relationship is the reason. I mean, that is the reason that their relationship is so strong. I've known a lot of couples in dating. I have never, Steve, Lori, I have never known a couple that were so blatantly honest with each other about everything before they were married. And I'll tell you, you know, where uh, Paul says, don't let the devil get a foothold. Footholds come when you keep things from one another. There's no foothold in this relationship because they honored God first. They honor one another. It's not perfect. I'm not trying to say that, but man, they were a testimony to me as their father. I was incredibly proud. What else does honor look like? Respect the physical guardrails God has given each human in relation to body and sex. I've talked about that, but it's the way that you show each other that you value them and that you want for them God's good rather than your pleasure. It's the way that you assign high value to them by guarding that. We honor one another with our speech. I just read the verse, Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every 
form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. In your relationships, dating or otherwise, when you begin to see bitterness and rage and anger and slander pop up, don't be the foolish one that thinks that those will go away once you say, I do. Those don't go away. You know why? They come with you into the relationship. So when you begin to feel that, that bitterness, that rage, that anger, for that matter, that insecurity, that, uh, that, um, that uh, tendency to avoid or to, to deny things that are going on in your life, that's when you call 1-800-SOZO, <laughs> all right? That's when you come to the church, make a call, talk to Jacqueline, and say, you know what? I got something going on in here that's hindering my relationships, some part of me that needs to be saved, that needs to be healed, that needs to be delivered, because otherwise you carry that into your marriage relationship. And what the, the world needs is holy, loving, honoring, God-empowered relationships. I'm just going to end with this. I think maybe the, the most powerful tool in any relationship, but certainly in dating relationship, is the gift of alignment. So I just want to talk about the gift of alignment for a minute. God created us as people, as humans, with bodies, you see them here, with uh, souls, with spirits that can connect to God's spirit. And we're meant to walk through the world in relationships with a certain alignment of body, soul, and spirit. God's intention for us is that his Holy Spirit connects to our spirit, that eternal part of us, our spirit that our spirit is governed by his Holy Spirit. So we hear his words and we do what he wants us to do. Our spirits then, the place where we connect to God, are meant to be governing over our souls, our minds, our wills, and our emotions. The spirit of God over our spirit, our spirit over our mind, will, and emotions. And our mind, will, and emotions, our souls, meant to govern our bodies, this thing that wants to do all sorts of wacky stuff out in the world, right? What happens so often in any relationship, but certainly in the dating relationship, is that the whole thing gets tossed on its head. And all of a sudden, the body starts telling the mind, will, and emotions, I've got a good idea for you. I know what you should do. I know that what would be really healthy and awesome for you. And then the mind, will, and emotions, with the hormones and all other things going on, starts getting a little whacked. And, it, and, and the, the, the soul, instead of listening to the Spirit, the soul is saying to the Spirit, you know, righteousness, not really that important. God, not completely essential. Uh, he'll forgive me anyway. Ever hear that one? And then all of a sudden, that Spirit, which is meant to connect to God's Spirit, doesn't hear anymore. It's just blank. It's just deadened. And so a gift to any relationship is to learn how to pray to learn how to just declare by the power of the Holy Spirit to your being, your whole being, body, soul, and spirit, to be in alignment. And I'll, I'll tell you how I do it. it you, you can speak with the authority of God to this person that God has created. And I just say, okay, Randy's body, body, submit to your soul, mind, will, and emotions. Soul, 
my soul of Randy, submit to my spirit, that place where God connects with me. And, and God, would you let my spirit submit to your Holy Spirit so that I can keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. When we walk in alignment like that, I'm not saying we can do it perfectly, but when we purpose by God's power to walk in that type of alignment, Spirit of God governing our spirit, our spirits in tune with God governing mind, will, and emotions, helping us to make holy, healthy decisions about what we feel, and then those souls, pure and purified, telling our bodies what's a good idea and what's not a good idea. I'll tell you, God-honoring kingdom relationships result. Two people in alignment, walking together in relationship, any sort of relationship, and the good news of the kingdom flows through them. And, and the fruit of the Spirit flows through them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, self-control gets released into the relationship and released into the world. And then the world wonders. Let's stand. If I could ask the ministry team to come forward and just stand in the front here. And uh, Jane or Adam, any other staff, any specific words for ministry, that I'd love to hear that. And Tim, could I ask you to, to share for a minute? Yeah. Do we have a microphone? Tim's going to share. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, so uh, this is the first time we've done live painting again during worship. Um, for about a year and a half now. Um, so no pressure, because I was the first one to come back and do it. Um, but I, I felt like what the Lord was showing me was a garden, um, and very specifically, there was a wrought iron gate that was open, and there was a key laying in the grass. Um, and I felt like what this means, now of course I would encourage you, if you see something else in it, go with it, you know, because there's what the Lord shows me, there's what he shows you. Um, but I felt like for some people, what it means is you're waiting to arrive. The garden represents arrival for you. And I don't know what that means. Maybe it means marriage. Maybe it means ministry promises. Maybe it means, you know, you know, all of these different things that you're holding on to. And in your mind, you're thinking, this is what it means to finally be wherever it is that God wants me to be. And, and, and you don't think you're there yet because of past traumas, hurts, disappointments. And I feel like the Lord is saying you're already there. If you're not married, you're, already, you're not already there. But if, you're, uh, if you're, you're that thing that you think means like I'm gonna arrive, you're there. That's what the garden represents. And you think that because there is work still in your life that you're doing, that you're not there yet. But just like with any garden, there's always work to be done. And the seasons that the Lord has put in place are God-given, they are good. So there is planting, there is harvesting, there is weeding, there is times of waiting. These are all still good things and still God-ordained things. Um, so I feel like what the Lord is, ask, is, is, is telling us to do is to ask him what life more abundantly looks like for you um, and, and, and how he wants you to walk that out because you're already walking in life more abundantly. Okay. Thanks, Tim. That's awesome. All right, the ministry team can come up. Thank you. I'm just going to pray for us. Just invite anyone. 
if you'd like someone to pray for you, it might be something that God spoke to you during the message or during worship or something that you walk in with, a physical need for healing, emotional issues, I just invite you to come forward as we pray. God, thank you for your goodness to us, upon us, around us, and through us. Lord, we ask that you would release the power of the Holy Spirit now among us to empower loving, honoring relationships in this body. God, I ask that you speak hope into hearts that are lacking hope. I ask that you remind of promises that are yes and amen in Jesus. I ask that you bring healing, openness, vulnerability, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like someone to pray for you, come on forward. We would love to pray for you. Or you can turn to someone next to you, someone you came with maybe, or in your small group and ask them to pray for you. Otherwise, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.